You are listening to You Are a Lawyer. I'm Kyla Denagno, a 2015 law school graduate. This episode is brought to you by me. <laughs> Seriously, I'm selling merchandise at shopyouarelawyer.com. That's where you can find water bottles, long and short sleeve t-shirts, and everything you need to support the You Are a Lawyer podcast. So support your favorite lawyer's favorite podcaster and visit shopyouarelawyer.com to grab some merchandise. In episode 55, I am speaking with a professional strategist and lawyer. This guest helps lawyers and academics commit to their visions after they calm their nervous systems. Based in New York City, New York, today's guest is Michelle Thompson. So welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thank you for having me, Kyla. This is so exciting. It is. It, it really is. So would you share your background with everyone? Because you have an incredible background. Absolutely. So I went to University of Iowa for law school, which is something I wanted to do since I was 12. I mean, not necessarily University of Iowa, but law school. (laughs) I was about to say, wow, specific. Yeah, no, not that specific. (laughs) Um, I wanted to become a lawyer, so I graduated. And then when I was in law school, the Americans with Disabilities Act had just passed. And the AIDS pandemic was, I I mean, it's not, we act like these things go away. You know, COVID, it's done. No, but it was at a peak at the time that I graduated. Y'all could do the math on that. And um, and so I won a fellowship at Whitman Walker Clinic through what was then called National, the National Association for Public Interest Law, which is now currently Equal Justice Works. And I worked at Whitman Walker Clinic with people living with HIV, providing legal services for them for two years. And while I was at the clinic, we organized a healthcare workers union. Okay. And my fellowship ended, and I was fortunate that the union wanted to hire me. And when I went to law school, I was actually hoping to do civil rights work. And I felt like when I did, these were absolutely part and parcel of what civil rights work was. The other thing is that when I was at Whitman Walker, Newt Gingrich stormed into Congress with Mm. his contract on America. I'm sorry, was that for America? Whatever. Um, (laughs) So, um, so like that was, that was part of the the noise with which I practice law. And I love the work I did for the union, but I was working something like 70 to 90 hours a week for $40,000 a year. Wow. And I never could get that time money thing quite together. Although yeah. I don't think anyone should be working 70 to 90 hours per week. And like, it's very high stress. And I was working fairly unsupervised. I thought of myself as still a fairly young lawyer, mm-hmm. but I was working fairly unsupervised. So I was always particularly stressed out and worried that I was going to drop the ball about something. So I was working, I was working, I was working. I wanted to have a child because I was drinking, doing cigarettes and eating lots of McDonald's. I'm like, you're going to have a heart attack, not a child. But you were stressed. And so you're like, right. let me get convenient. Let me get something exactly. that is, yeah. Exactly. And that's exactly what I did. And, you know, it was the best decision I could make at the time. But I was like, if you want the child, this has got to stop. At that time, I met my spouse, who was a full professor at Indiana University in Bloomington and had a fellowship in DC. And she suggested, oh, you could become a professor. And I'm like, looking around the room, like, who? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, who are you talking to? (laughs) Oh, me, me. So I decided to apply to earn a doctorate in history. And I earned my master's and then my doctorate in history. And so I'm an historian. I'm also an historian of Jamaican history in the late 19th century. I have one published piece and I'm working on the rest. But then when I graduated, it was post 2008 that economic collapse. And so Mm -hmm. the job market in academia was unbelievably soft. And I wasn't terribly successful in getting that plum tenure track job. And I actually got really depressed. 
okay. to the point of um, almost depression. I did have the child. He was eight. And I just kept looking at him. I really thought about maybe I'll kill myself because whatever, I can't even make my bills. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's that's a bad look. <laughs> I was looking at my yeah. child. like I don't want to do that to him. So I actually started by looking at journalism. And then I realized that it was in the same free fall that academia was in. And then I'd been part of a peer counseling organization for many years at that point and to volunteer. And I was like, this is great. And it's a lovely skill. And I'm really glad I can have impact on people's lives, but it really would be nice to get paid for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so I, I just like coming back if I don't pay my bills. Right. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I actually saw an email that said we're having scholarships to become a coach. And I was like, wait a minute, I can't say I knew what a coach was at the time. I, I, yeah. I knew like it probably had the skill set that I had, but I wasn't sure. And I was like, scholarship, I'm here for that. So I completed the application. The man who read my application actually knew the organization I was with. I won the scholarship and awesome. I haven't looked back since. Okay. So that's my background. And at Resistant Vision, I've worked with academics and lawyers. I'm definitely pushing more towards the lawyer side of things because mm-hmm. academia just seems to be in a never ending free fall. And I can't quite figure out how to position myself to yeah. support people well enough to navigate it. Okay. So thank you for sharing all of that. I saw your education background. I was like, wow, this is so illustrious, right? Have earned a JD. And then you went and got a PhD. So do people call you double doctor or doctor squared or anything like that? (laughs) No, they don't. And I actually don't true story. I generally don't have people call me doctor unless when I was teaching, I would. (laughs) So the University of Iowa for law school and undergrad, you went to Grinnell College, which is in Iowa. Are you from Iowa? No, I'm from Chicago. And okay. um, a great unknown secret is that many of us who are from Chicago actually end up in Iowa for college, okay. like different, co- and there are a bunch of colleges there. Yeah. And it's because schools in Iowa were really, really inexpensive for really good ex- educations okay. at the time that I went. Um, and University of Iowa, they were so determined to have diversity in their class, right? It was the first time I'd ever been to school with Latinos and Native Americans, mm-hmm. in addition to Black students and Asian students, that they actually gave me in-state tuition oh, wow. for law school. So my, my law school debt was actually really low when I came out. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So props to them. They did the right thing. Yeah. I was just looking at a statement the other day because um, I do all the money for like our household. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, I still owe 30000 for undergrad. And I was like, wait, that was mm. like one semester of law school. Mm. That is yeah, right? heartbreaking. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's like, intense. Oh. It's intense. Yeah. So, okay. Your spouse is like, hey, education sounds exciting. I bet you could teach. But you've actually taught at at least three different colleges. I what have. What was that like? My primary field as an historian is um, the African diaspora. My secondary okay. field is colonial Caribbean history. So I was very much teaching along the Black Studies line of things. And when I was teaching at City College, the students were so grateful to have someone talk about their own history. And I had personally not been ever in an undergraduate class with a predominantly Caribbean set of students. My family's from Jamaica. Okay. So they, you know, so I can't know I can't speak to the whole Caribbean, but I actually could put my mind around the region. Mm-hmm. And they were so grateful. They were yeah. like, wow, we've never heard this before. Like that, you know, they were just, they were hungry to hear about themselves. And yeah. I think it's a really pathetic reflection on what we do in education at any point that people don't get to hear about themselves. Like only one small group of people in the grand scheme of the world population gets to hear anything about themselves and everyone else. It's like, oh, whatever. There was slavery. Mm-hmm. That doesn't do it. Don't even want to know. Right. right? 
I mean, unless you have a rich history of grandparents and aunts and people who are passing down stories, exactly. You just go, my skin is brown. My skin is black. That's what I know. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, Exactly. So the Haitian revolution, mm -hmm. people know virtually nothing about it, which always hurts my head, but I knew virtually virtually nothing about it. And my son, my son's like, I'm really glad I know about the Haitian revolution. I said, you know about it because of me. (laughs) Otherwise you would never be taught about it. Like that, that that's just not something that would come up in your school curriculum. Yeah. Well, that's good for you. Um, I know you mentioned that you didn't get to the point where you had tenure track. Was that the initial goal or at some point, was that the goal to just teach full time, full on tenureship and and all of it? It was the goal. That was absolutely the goal. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think one of the things you learn as a professional was that, you know, goals are not meant to be written in stone. Mm -hmm. And if they don't suit you, if they don't work anymore, you give them up so you can let in what the next thing you really want is and actually try to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I haven't gotten to teach. It's not like I haven't gotten to publish and thank God I'm not on the tenure track Um, because I like, I've worked with clients on the tenure track. Right. And I see what it can do to them. Right. And I'm thrilled that I didn't have to put myself through that. And I mean, it sounds like you still made an impact for your students. So absolutely. You know, they definitely weren't like, Oh, you're just an adjunct. I'm not learning from you. Right. I was blown away, but I got a teaching award from the program I was teaching. That's awesome. Me and there were two other professors. We actually were very personally responsible for rebuilding this program, the Black Studies program um, Mm -hmm. at City College. And so they acknowledged it and it was really lovely. And students were always like, I heard about you. That's why I'm taking you. Like, okay, word gets out. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So did you find that women in academia had a different set of stressors and frustrations from law school? Like, I have to say that lawyers and academics actually have the same set of stressors. Okay. Um, okay. You know, and, and it's funny because these women are in seemingly different industries, mm-hmm. but yeah. if you're in big law or even medium law, right, and you're trying to earn partner, it is the same set of pressures as tenure, mm-hmm. right? And they're both these kind of nebulous political processes that absolutely require a lot of you and the, the standards for them are not necessarily clear. Because you're female, if you are a BIPOC female, that's another set of nebulous standards Mm -hmm. that people are judging you by. And, you know, one is inclined to just throw themselves under the bus to actually meet these goals. I mean, that there are, and it's about the same amount of time to partner as it is to tenure. And the two industries are stunningly similar that way. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I know anyone that has a PhD and a JD. We are very rare breed. I'm thinking, I'm like, maybe my law school professors? But I, I mean, most know, of them don't. Like... Most of them have JDs and they've been, okay. they taught for a while and then, yeah, yeah, they got a sweet offer at school. Yeah. I will, I have to tell you. Uh, so I graduated from NYU in 2012. And mm-hmm. I think I was the 10th Black person to receive a PhD from NYU, wow. New York University. I'm not talking about yeah. God knows what school in the middle of God knows what. <laughs> I'm talking about New York City, <laughs> Greenwich Village, New York City. Yeah. Uh, That's incredible. Um, and I knew the I knew the first person who graduated with a PhD in history. It wasn't like she was like, you know, decades before me. No, 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 right. no, no. She was like five years before me. Man, we're still making strides, but at least we're making them. We're making the strides, man. but it's, 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 yeah, it's, pathetic. it's slow. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned your son being eight years old and you were having those thoughts of, okay, do I still want to be here and be around? Mm-hmm. Was that the turning point where you were like, I have to change what's happening in life. And also, can I help other women change what's happening in their lives? 
he was definitely the turning point. I, you know, okay. I wasn't sure it was one of those things where you go forward on faith. Like you don't know what that, what the turn is going to be, Yeah. but you know that it's got to be something else. Yeah. I actually, I had done an internship with Latino USA with Maria Hinojosa. Okay. And after that, I met Linda Villarosa, who is an acclaimed journalist who teaches at City College. And she actually had, she just started a fellowship program. So I started writing stories for the student paper there. And that was, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But what was clear to me was that for me to make strides in journalism, and like, this is, mind you, a woman who knows how to write, right? Mm -hmm. If you want me to learn to write as a journalist, I could do that like in about 10 minutes. I would probably have to go back and get a master's in journalism. And I'm like, I'm done. (laughs) Like I have all the degrees. I have all the degrees that require all the writing. I am finished. Mm -hmm. That's when I was like, okay, I'm going to become a coach. I don't think I knew exactly who I was going to serve when I became a coach. I I did. That wasn't clear to me. I was just like, let me learn what this is. And then I'll sort out the market part of it later. And I'm glad I made that decision because then I could actually just focus on on learning how to coach. Yeah. I mean, because once you know how to coach, I imagine you can pull from any of your experiences and it sounds like you've done that. Yeah. And created your own niche. Exactly. Okay. So outsider looking in, I'm like, you wanted to be a civil rights attorney. And it sounds like you are doing civil rights type stuff, empowerment, you know what I mean? Pushing things forward. Do you see coaching as kind of being in the same vein? I kind of do. It's going to be this year, 54. (laughs) I'll be 54. I know it's after you're 50. You're like, I don't know. It's another year. Okay. Tell me, but I'm going to be 54 this year. You know, and I don't, (laughs) I don't feel like I have it in me to be out in these streets in a particular way. Right. I've done organizing. I've done protests. I've done all of that. I'm like, yeah, you know, the knees have something to say than the ankles do. And (laughs) then my bedtime shows up at nine o'clock. I I don't, I, you know, I'm clear that that's probably not the way that I need to be in this fight. I do feel strongly that we are at a point where lawyers and academics need to be in the best possible condition that they can possibly be in. Mm -hmm. And I am happy to support them in doing that. Like we cannot be wired and tired. Like that's what this crazy society that's collapsing in front of our eyes Mm -hmm. wants of us, right? Right. They want us to do more and more and more with less, 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 and, you know, not notice that, wow, I haven't had water all day long, or I haven't slept for more than five hours in three weeks, right? Like it wants us to do that. That's how we keep, you know, raping the earth and stealing from people, right? Mm -hmm. I am committed to saying we won't do this anymore. Here's the army of people. We're like, we're not doing this anymore. And based on our expertise and our knowledge, we're going to rebuild the earth in ways that are sustainable for everybody. Yeah. I love that. I mean, someone has to be thinking about it and you have time to figure it out. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So you've actually been a coach at two different times. You were coaching while you were teaching at, you call it City University, but it's SUNY? City College, CCNY, which is part of the CUNY system. The CUNY, there you go. Yeah. But I'll call it City College because you do. So so you've actually been a coach at two separate times. You were coaching when you were teaching at City College, and then you also just created Resistant Vision, which started Uh, in... So I changed the name of the business. I started as Michelle oh. Dion Thompson Coaching and Consulting. Gotcha. And I started that like six years ago. Okay. okay. Um, and then in 2021, because, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, I was like, time to rebrand. Uh, and so yeah. I created Resistant Vision. So I've been coaching the entire time. It's just I gotcha. The, the entity changed. Okay. I gotcha. And what is it that you love about coaching? People are coming to me because they have a problem to solve. Yeah. Clearly. 
But I also see them at their best because at that point, they're committed to solving the problem, mm-hmm. right? So I was working with a lawyer who was having tachycardia and high blood pressure. And she was like, oh, good Lord, <laughs> this is not what I signed up for, right? Yeah. And it was really a pleasure to give her some of the tools to actually start to turn that around, right? Mm-hmm. I've had one client who published, I think, six articles in the last year. She wanted to write her book wow. and she was distracted. And, I, and I, she said, so here's my list of things to do. And I said, well, no wonder you're not writing your book. You're writing all this other stuff. Um, so I said, let's get, let's clear this out. So you can actually focus on the book. She cleared it out, six publications. And now she's working on the book. I had two clients who actually published, no, have two books at press, each of them. Like one of them is a, a collection of essays from different people. And one is a monograph, but that's a remarkable level of productivity. And so when you see people say like, this is the thing I want to do, help me find my way there on top of crazy work hours, raising mm-hmm. children, COVID, and COVID really threw a wrench in all kinds of things, right? In academia, the amount of service that women, that people in general had to do, and you weren't in the office was just next level insane, right? Yeah. And to actually hit their mark, it's just like, wow, my work here is done. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, one woman whose book I'm helping her work on now, I cannot wait for this book to be published. <laughs> like we talk about it. I'm like, she's a political scientist. I'm an historian, but mm-hmm. we got to, I, you know, I got to give her a bigger picture of what her work is doing. And, oh, it just makes my heart sing. I'm like, this oh. will make the world right. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. It sounds like it. I can hear the excitement. Yeah, that's why I love doing it. I love helping them achieve their goals. And they're Mm -hmm. often just doing really amazing, touching things that this world needs to hear. I think one of the things that really crushed me, the Republican Party has been downplaying the importance of expertise for decades. I mean, Mm -hmm. we act like Trump showed up and it was new. It wasn't. Like, I remember the Reagan administration. And it breaks my heart because there's so many solutions that we can find in the work that people are doing. Yeah. And we were just like, no, we're we're not interested because it doesn't fit our particular ideological agenda. And the truth of the big T isn't the truth, right? Like with the planets revolve around the sun, right? Like, but there's a debate on that. What if the earth is squared? People can debate it. They can (laughs) debate it until the cows come home. It's not going to change that reality, right? I know. (laughs) Right. Like you could, you, maybe you don't want to hear about critical race theory. It is actually not going to change the case law that systematically disenfranchised people of African heritage and still does. It's not going to change the words on the page. Are you going to burn it all to the ground? Yeah. Closing your eyes to something doesn't mean it no longer exists. But you know, when Sandy came through, you know, talk, talk to me about that. Yeah. I remember that because I was a 1L student and we actually went up to Staten Island and we're helping out with the Hurricane oh, right. Sandy Relief. Right. Yeah. We were with uh, Turo Law School. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. That makes sense. So I remember that. And I mean, even Ooh. it should not be. I remember <laughs> Ida from last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like in Queens, people drowned in their drowned in their apartments in Queens. Yeah. What? What is this? Right. <laughs> it is an absolute mess. So what you said about the woman who wanted to write a book, but she was spending so much time writing for other people and doing other assignments. Mm -hmm. Do you find that those kind of simple revelations are what you really love about being a coach, just being able to see things from a different perspective and bring it back to each client? Absolutely. I mean, that's why we go to coaches. That's Mm -hmm. why we have mentors. We need people who have a picture of us that we don't have of ourselves. Yeah. We always need that. And we always need somebody 
reflecting that back, I've become a real fan of personality tests. And I, one of the ones I've taken were the Clifton Strengths. Okay. And one of my strengths is learner. And one of them is intellection is what they call it. And one of them is being a strategist. And so like, that's what people come to me for, right? To actually have mm-hmm. a bigger picture of what is the strategy that they need to tackle. And so I'm really gifted at saying, well, if these things were in place, this would actually work better. Okay. Right. If you actually worked on your health, you would already be setting boundaries with other Mm. partners in your workplace. So you can actually do the work that you need to do. Do they want you to have a heart attack on the job? That's not cost effective. Um, (laughs) Right. That's that doesn't work so well. Right. Like, and that gives you a place that gives you an entry point to actually set the boundaries that you need to, you know, practice law the way that you thought you'd practice it. Yeah. I love that. That makes sense. And what did your friends and family think when you were like, Oh, someone's going to train me to be a coach. I think I'll sign up for this. I have to tell you, you know, I, I, um, one of my dear mentors was like, Michelle, you have a habit of looking at everything in your life as a failure. She's like, I don't really get where you get that from. And I'm like, oops. <laughs> so I say, I, I, I start there because, mm-hmm. so my mom had Alzheimer's at the okay. time that I decided to become a coach. And I decided I wasn't going to tell her what I was doing. I was, okay. I just, she went and, and like at one point she was like, do you have a business? I said, yes. And I didn't say anything more about it. Um, And it really took me a while to even tell my sister what I did. But here's what happened. I was visiting her upstate and she does litigation with the ACLU. And she was trying to sort out her argument. (laughs) She's going to argue like the day before the argument. And she was completely a nervous wreck about it. So I actually brought my coaching self to her. I said, okay, look, what's your argument? What's the precedent that you're trying to challenge? And I could walk her through all the analysis. She's like, this is it. I'm like, it is. It is that. That's what you're doing. She's like, thank you so much. <laughs> and then I'm a really big fan of emotional freedom technique. It's also known as tapping. I like to call it emotional acupuncture without the needles, but you're literally tapping yeah. on acupuncture points around the face and torso in a way that actually settles your nervous system. So you can do the things that you're trying to do. And so before she went into the oral arguments, I'm like, you're going to tap with me. And so we literally were tapping on it. She's like, I feel much better. I'm like, go get, get, get in there, go win your argument. <laughs> And she was in tears with gratitude about what I did with her. And that was really the first time she understood what I was doing. Okay. And I think, I mean, that took a big change in myself to actually be that open about it. Mm -hmm. But she was so happy. She's like, I'm telling my supervisor and you need to work with people where I work. I'm like, that's good. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I asked because I see those posts all the time. I mean, I'm sure they're different. But if you go to any job board and you start searching, you'll see a couple ads and they're like, work from home. We can teach you the content and stuff. And I'm like, um, do people sign up for this? I, you know, I signed up for it. There were a bunch of people who went through that course with me. And I Mm -hmm. think I'm one of the two or three people who actually followed up and became a coach. Yeah. Well, because just like with any job, only, you know, your talents, right? And you come in, they train you, but what you do with it. Is it's the, it's up to you. It's up yeah. to you. Exactly. And I, I was like, I am in my, I'm in my happy place. This is well, what good. I'm doing. Yeah. I'm glad you found it. It was there for you at the right time. So. Exactly. I, right. I kept thinking, well, it's too bad. I couldn't do this in graduate school. It's like, girl, you weren't ready for that. <laughs> you, yeah. You would have been like, what is that? I don't have time. For, I don't have time for that. I'm trying to read three books mm-hmm. this week. Right. I have a whole YouTube about the books I read every week. Cause I go through at least it's it's insane. Um, but my daughter loves to read now too. So it's Oh, good. that's awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually, you know, when you're doing doctoral work, they literally have you reading three books a week with articles. Yeah. 
I read books the way most people watch TV. Like I'll pick up a fiction novel. I'll read a couple of pages in that. And then I'm like, okay, where's that nonfiction book? And then I'll read something history. I do um, this too. I actually mm-hmm. do. I'm like, I have this long list of books that I'm currently reading. Yeah. I'm a good reader. I'm like, oh, look at all those books I'm reading. Yeah. People are like, what are you reading? Oh, to, to right now? Today? <laughs> in this hour, I'm reading this one, but then there's a murder mystery. I'll pick that up before I go to bed. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So Michelle, you talk to clients through a resistant vision about how to break the 90 day work week. You work with authors. You do all of this stuff. I do. Are you being the coach that you wish you would have had when you were going through academia and law school? Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I am. I, you know, okay. I, I, another story about my sister. I want to preface this with my sister is actually a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant woman. Um, mm-hmm. She was attorney of the year in New Jersey last year. Like she is a brilliant woman. Yeah. So I don't want, I like, I want, I want people to really be clear about that, but it was interesting. I was in DC, you know, I was at the union and she came to me at the end of her first semester of law school. It was Thanksgiving. And, you know, she was talking about, I don't know how to approach these final exams. And I looked at her, I said, sit down. You know, at the time I had no idea how much wisdom was mm-hmm. bestowing on her. I said, contracts, this is what you're going to do. You're going to look for an offer, acceptance, consideration, and any other things that would go ahead and nullify that contract. It is that simple. You're going to build your outline around that. She's taken notes. It's rare because she doesn't really listen to me about many things, um, right? <laughs> Criminal law, you know, intent. I forgot, you know, I forgot the whole rubric, but I, I had right. that down. Torts, pop, popped it out, got it down. Yeah. She, I'll be damned if that woman didn't get all A's on her exams. I was like, really? <laughs> I hope you patted yourself on the back. Like, I know. I feel like saying that's my A. That's yeah. my A. Um, I finally get it. I finally get it. But actually, I, you know, I really understood it after taking the bar exam. Mm-hmm. Um, like she got what I needed because I had not a clue what I was doing in those exams. Not a clue. Yeah. You know, and then she took the bar and like me, she failed it the first time. And she can't, you know, she comes, she's in tears. She's like, I feel like I'm stupid. I can't do this. And I'm like, okay, stop. I said, number one, the bar exam is an exam that does not measure your intelligence. So like, mm-hmm. let's just separate your ability and your intelligence from this test. Okay. Number two, this is what you go and do. <laughs> <laughs> she did it. She passed the bar. I'm like, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cause you have that different perspective. We get exactly. so close to it. Exactly. Right? We can't see. So exactly. So I, I have been that coach that I absolutely needed. I don't have regrets about doing the doctorate. I don't have regrets about how I did it, mm-hmm. but I am so much clearer about how to work that system now that I'm out of it. Yeah. Okay. If I had me at the time, I mean, I don't know. I probably wouldn't be coaching, which would be unfortunate. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say you would be that limitless, would... but you're limitless now. I'm limitless you can do now. whatever you want. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the actual, I don't know if it's the tagline or the mission of Resistant Vision is that you help clients calm their nervous systems, clarify what they want in their lives and commit to taking the steps to carry out their vision. Yes. I love that. I absolutely love it. All the action verbs. I love it. How did you, know, you come up with that? It's actually what I've been doing for clients for years. Okay. <laughs> literally, it's literally what I've been doing. EFT is calming the nervous system. That is actually a direct reference to emotional freedom technique or tapping. Okay. Um, it is so, it is 
absurdly effective. I had a client who came to me who was struggling with her advisor and her jaw hurt. Like, you know, she was in so much stress that her jaw, mm-hmm. she had jaw pain. And we did a few rounds and tapped on the jaw pain. It disappeared. And then she was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do and how I'm going to handle this situation. Because now the emotional stuff that she carried in her body went away. But it's hard to go ahead and do the clarify part, right? The set the goals and the objectives and the steps you're going to take if you're busy being freaked out, right? Your neck yeah. hurts, your hips are off, high blood pressure. Wow. It's so hard to set the course straight if you if you're not regulated. And yeah. so that's why that's such an important part of how I start with clients. It's like I know what you want, but like let's make sure that you you're actually calm enough to actually handle it. And then we do the standard coaching stuff, set the goals, set the objectives, and then commit is actually do the things that you said you're going to do. Yeah. And it's not meant to be linear, right? You mm-hmm. might start doing the things and then you find that you're back and freak out because you're doing the things. It's like, okay, well, let's calm the nervous system again and let's evaluate that step after we calm the nervous system, right? We can, they can go back and forth with that. It's like, maybe you commit and you, you commit and you take the step and it's not the right step. I don't tell them necessarily. Now the next step for you is this, right, right? right? They have to think about that. They have to do it. Okay. I love that. So, so two lawyers in your family, how cool is that? You know, my, my mom, so this is my mom. She grew up in Jamaica. She stopped going to school at the equivalent of sixth grade because mm-hmm. her, her family needed her to work. She figured out a way by the time she got to her late teens, early twenties to go to England and become a nurse. Okay. Right. Like, like sixth grade to nurse, like that's crazy. Right. But if there's anyone who was going to figure out how to do it, it was my mother. She mm-hmm. came in second in her class. Okay, mom. Right, right. And so she flew to the US because she had a job and, you know, she got married and she was at first her thought was, I'm going to raise my daughters the way that I was raised. So they mm-hmm. understand the struggle. And then she's like, why would I do that? She actually had this thought on her own, like, why would I do that? I'm not going to yeah. do that. And she worked at the University of Chicago where they have a K through 12 school built in and she got half off the tuition. She's like, I'm sending them there. And she was just determined, like, whatever I don't have, they're going to get so they can actually take care of themselves Mm -hmm. and do something that would make anyone proud in the world. And I think that's how, like, that kind of hell-bent determination is how you create some two lawyers and someone with a doctorate. I don't know that I could have done that without my mom in a particular (laughs) way. So you're telling me the story and it's making me think of the book called Black Cake. Have you read that? I've not read that. You should read it. I need to get that. It starts off in Jamaica and it's about two best friends. At one point, the main character does move to the UK and I almost feel like she became a nurse. Um, oh, that's but that might just be because you said that, but she definitely ends up in the UK, runs into a friend and they're like, oh, you look like my friend, but why would she be here? And no, it is her. You should, you should look into it. <laughs> I definitely um, will. So Michelle, I only have one other question or kind of comment for you. With everything that's happening in the world, right? People joke about the world is going to an end and we're just watching it on TV, but it really feels like that some days. Do you have any kind of words or advice for people to just deal with their stress or or just handle anything uh, right now as we're living in 2022? You know, I feel like we've all been training for this moment, right? Like we've all, we all have a particular set of skills and abilities that we're meant to dig in now, right? And I'm a big follower of Rachel Rogers. She wrote her book, We Should All Be Millionaires, last year. And she talks about Madam C.J. Walker, right? Her, she had five siblings who were born in slavery. She was the only one not born in slavery. Mm. And she actually, I mean, she, the empire she built over hair pro- products for Black women 
wasn't just that it lined her pockets. She built community and she trained women and she gave them the ability to build around themselves. Yeah. Right. And it's time for us to evaluate, like, how do we get to build and support people around us? Yeah. Like, I think that's the question we get to ask. And we get to take a step back and figure out how are we going to do this and what are we going to do? And I think that the human rights issues are part and parcel of the environmental issues, right? The way that we have used the labor of Blacks and Latinos in this world, right? Like we can just use people up and throw out their labor is the way that we use land. The way that we, you know, I mean, we as human beings, not not we personally, but that we use women sexually and throw them out and that they're pregnant, who cares, is the exact thing that we do to the earth. And we can no longer do this. These issues are speaking to the same issues. And we can't afford to say, but that's my fight. That's my fight. You're not talking about the trans people. No, we're talking about all of us. The world's going to go on. Whether humans will live on it, that's that's up for debate, right? And we have to take a moment, take a deep breath and go, okay, we're going to get in this fight because we actually, we really do respect all life. We really do want it all to thrive. How are we going to make it happen? This is the time to make sure you're doing all the things your mother told you. Get eight hours of sleep. Yeah. eat properly, move your body, drink some, um, water. drink some water, make sure that the people in the world who you see know that you like them. So they actually have people that they can count on and rely on when things get rough, right? We're going to need each other. Yeah. I want to serve more women. I, I want to serve more lawyers. I'm hell bent on it. I'm going to do it or die trying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I put my attention on the things that help me do that. Yeah. And I love that. And no, you didn't give us a specific prescription, but you can't. Everybody that's right. listening is different. Exactly. You have to, everyone has to evaluate what actually makes sense for them. Yeah. And if you have a specific career need, um, Michelle's contact information and social media accounts are listed in the show notes. Absolutely. So feel free to reach out and if and when she's accepting clients, <laughs> she will talk to you. I'm, so. I'm accepting them now. So feel free to come my way. Thank you so much, Michelle. This was great. Thank you, Kyla. What a pleasure. <laughs> All right. You have a good evening. You too. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating, tell a friend about this podcast, and subscribe to the show so that you never miss a new episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.